So we're doing an Easter celebration. We started a series last week called I Am, and it's based on eight sayings of Jesus in the book of John. And John was a guy who was a follower of Christ. He was one of the disciples, and he wrote the Gospel of John as an eyewitness of Jesus and the things that he had seen, the things that Jesus had done, the words that Jesus spoke. And John even says at the end of his Gospel, he says, my book is incomplete because all of the volumes of the world could not contain the things that Jesus did. And so this morning we're going to take a look at, last week we looked at Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And today we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 11, and we're going to build off of that, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So in John chapter 11, next slide. So in John chapter 11, Jesus says to her, He's going to make this statement. He's going to make it to a woman. Well, the question is, John chapter 11, verse 25, if you're taking notes or following in your Bible or on your um, electronic Bible. <laughs> I have people go to me. Pastor, I'm not, I'm not talking on my phone. I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible on the phone. You know, it's like sort of a modern thing. Um, but Jesus says to her, who is the her? Jesus had some friends. He would go to the city called Jerusalem and he would testify because Jesus was foretold through the prophets to come, born of a virgin, and go, and he was going to testify first and foremost to the Jewish nation, because the Jewish nation were the people who initially, in the first four on the front end, were entrusted with the things of God. And their trust into the things of God was ultimately as a purpose to bring the message of the kingdom or the message of the Messiah to the whole world. So Jesus, God created this nation na named Israel, called these people to themselves, to himself, entrusted them with his word in order that in the time to come, they would reveal the Messiah to the world. Well, unfortunately, like so many people, the people who were called to Christ rejected him. And so Jesus would go to Jerusalem and he would go there to testify, bear witness, miracles, all of that stuff. But Jerusalem wasn't very friendly to Jesus. Every time Jesus went there, they tried to kill him. All right. So it wasn't really like a great, friendly little place that he would like to go to, even though he went and he would go often. And when he would go to Jerusalem, he would not stay in Jerusalem. He stayed in a, in a town called Bethany because he had three friends there. He had multiple friends, but these people were very close to him. It was a woman named Mary, her sister named Martha, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And so Jesus would go to their house. He would hang out there. He could take his shoes off. He could put his feet up. He could get whatever he wanted out of the refrigerator because these people were friends with him, right? And so anybody got friends like that, right? Anybody have a house where you go in and you're like, oh, it's my friend's house, I can do whatever, you know, or anybody comes over to your house and, they're, and you're that close with them that they're enabled, that you just have that kind of environment where it's like, you're okay. So if you show up over there, you don't feel like you have to put on airs and you don't have to be somebody or anything like that. These were who these people were to Jesus. And it tells us something about the Lord that he wants that level of relationship with us. He wants us to be comfortable with him and he wants to be at home in our world and he wants to be at home in our world, in our lives as well. And we need to create an inviting place for him in our lives where everything's OK. He knows us just as we are. He comes in, he sees the laundry on the floor. He's all right with it. OK, there's some dirty dishes in the sink. He's OK with that, too. We need to have that openness with the Lord and create that relationship. But what's going on here in this story is the brother Lazarus has died. He hasn't just died four days earlier. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, he's sick. And so Lazarus gets sick and Jesus lets him die. What? He let him die. 
And God let it die in order for something greater to come out of that circumstance. There are a lot of people who began following the Lord and they became offended because God didn't come through when they wanted him to come through. They didn't, he didn't do exactly what they had expected him to do. And so people become offended and they push away from the Lord because they're offended at the way he did it. And I would say to you, even based upon this story, if you will give your situation and you will give your offense and you will give your brokenness or whatever it may be back to the Lord, this story tells us that God will do something even greater than what you've experienced. And so he looks at Mary and Jesus comes to the tomb and Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. He's been buried. And she even goes as far in the, New King, in the King James Version as she says, Lord, he stinks. He's been in there four days. He stinketh, right? Like, it's stanky. He's dead. He's smelly. And she comes running up to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That is an insanely profound statement that he just made. And it is insanely profound to the degree that he looks at her and says, do you believe this? I've just said something that is far and away impossible for you to achieve on your own. And I'm telling you that I'm the one who is the life giver. And he says, do you believe this? She says, I do. He says, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say, I give resurrection. He doesn't say, I give life. He says, I am resurrection and I am life. Jesus is not just the authority. He's the actual power of life. He holds not just the authority of life. He holds the existence of life because he is life itself. This is what he's saying. So if you do not have Christ, you, you actually don't have life. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son have life. You have biological life. You have intellectual life, but you do not have spiritual life. That comes only through Christ. That's what he's saying. Though, you though you're dead, yet you'll live. And what he uses is he uses, well, I'll, go, I'll back up a little bit. If you're not familiar with this term resurrection, I'll just give you some ideas of what it looks like. It means to awaken, bring back to life, or put back together. Anybody here like to restore things? Some of you, you know, I like to restore cars or, you know, like I, some of you are musical. You like to take things and bring them back to life. And I was sharing a story of a friend of mine who's, uh, who's going back to the eight tracks, right? Rocking the eight tracks. Anybody know what an eight track is? Okay. Somebody under 20 is not going to know what an eight track is. What is that? Show it to my son. What do you think? I'm a paleontologist, dad? I don't know. That looks like a dinosaur. I don't know what that thing is. Or... I told him when he was telling me that, he's like, yeah, I'm starting to do eight tracks. I'm collecting eight tracks. And I said, 1972 called. They want their eight tracks back, man. Come on. You got to give that me. So, but to resurrect means to bring back to life or to put back together. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will live. He uses a word for life is zoesetai. You can say it with me so that I, because I get tongue tied. So I just feel better if you'd say it too. And so you get tongue. We'll all do this together. Say it with me. Zoesetai. That's right. It literally, you can translate it a lot of different ways. It means elevating love. It means life upon life. The word zoe, which is the root of the word, is life. But it means life that only comes from God. It is a life that comes from the existence of God alone. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you zoesetai. I will give you life from God that is compounding. Life upon life upon life upon life upon life upon life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, though you're alive, I'm going to give you life within your biological life. I'm going to give you spiritual life. I'm going to give you a life that ascends. 
I'm going to give you a God life, and I'm going to give you a life that's unending. You cannot receive that life in anyone else. You receive that life only in Jesus. That life is not available anywhere else. It's only in Christ. And here's what we know. Jesus came to die. He came to rise again, and he came to impart this zoestatai to everyone who would let him. Everyone who would give their heart to him, he in turn would give them back something far greater than what they gave in his life. And what we need to understand about the cross and what we need to understand about the resurrection is that Jesus isn't a, vi isn't a victim. Some of you, you may come from religious traditions or you may come from a Christian tradition. You may not come from any tradition at all, but oftentimes in a lot of the older Christian traditions, we look at Jesus on the cross and we like weep and we cry and we put a cross on the wall and we just cry, oh, poor Jesus is on the cross and we're just bawling over that. Jesus is not a victim, he's a victor, okay? He's not victimized on the cross. He went to the cross to bring victory. And it says right here, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. So he's like, don't be confused. No one's taking this away from me. I'm giving it away. And if I give my life away, then I have the authority to take it up again. Why? Because he is life. He is the one who, has, who is resurrection himself, and he is life, zoestatai. He is the essence of it. And so Jesus is not a victim. Next slide. And he tells them this. This is what he tells them. So we have to understand as believers that what Jesus did was for victory. What Jesus did was not, he was not victimized. He was brutalized and a lot of difficult and painful and really bad things happened, but he let them happen. He allowed them to happen. He took for you, he took upon himself what you and I are deserving of. This is what God wants from the world. Anybody ever want to know what God wants from the world? What does God want? Is there a God and what does he want? Well, guess what? I have the answer. I'm not the authority. The Bible's the authority. Jesus said to them, this is the only work of God wants from you. And what is that? To believe on the one that he has sent. That's what it means. Because faith in Christ is the beginning point of everything else. Faith in Christ brings zoestatai. Faith in Christ brings the elevating love. Faith in Christ brings the life upon life upon life upon life. It changes everything. And the only thing God wants from the world is that they believe in the one that he sent. And none of that benefits him. Everything God did, I was watching this show and I, was watching, I started watching all these different commentaries and I always watch an antagonist. Okay, an antagonist is somebody who's against something. So I always want to hear who's against what and why. You know, this might drive some of you crazy, but I was listening to an antagonist last night and he was saying, oh, God's an egotist. It's all he wants, he wants worship for himself. He wants worship for himself. Clear ignorance on the part of this man. He has no idea or understanding who God is. God is not out for himself. He humbled himself for you. If God was not, if God was out for himself, none of us would exist. Okay? There would be no cross. There would be no resurrection. There would be no call. There would be no spirit in our lives. There would be no Bible. Everything he does is for you. Everything he does is to bless you. It's all for you. So there's no ego here. Jesus isn't about ego. He came to serve. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's a big statement. Cross was not a very pretty thing to die on, in case you didn't know. They killed you. They beat you publicly, okay? Beat you publicly, stripped you publicly, nailed you to a cross publicly, and let you hang there for days. And what people would do while they were hanging there for days is they would hurl insults at you. They would throw stuff at you. They would do all kinds of unspeakable things to you while you hung on the cross. Anybody had something that you maybe you cut, hit your car, your hand in a door 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, ow, it's like it's excruciating pain. Anybody ever felt maybe you gave birth to a child? That's excruciating pain. Okay, that word excruciating comes from the word crux, which is where we get the word cross. So the pain of the cross is likened to the highest amount of pain a human being can experience. Excruciating pain. So Jesus didn't do any of that for himself. He didn't say like, hey man, I got nothing better to do. I know. I think I'm going to go down and be born of a virgin, which to the equivalent of God was I'm going to go down and swim in a sea of human sin, in a sea of human brokenness. I'm going to go down there and hang out there for a few years. And then I'm going to let these people beat me. I'm going to let them pull, their be pull my beard out of my face. I'm going to let them spit. I'm going to let them flog me with a whip. And then I'm going to let them hang me out there naked. The Romans weren't nice. Jesus hung naked, openly shamed for you, for me. I don't think I'd hang naked for anybody. I don't know about you, <laughs> especially people that didn't like me. Or I didn't necessarily, you know what I'm saying? Somebody didn't like you and they're going, hey, you know, you, you know, the relationship will get better if you, if you, you know, hang out naked for three hours. Really? So if I go naked, we'll get, we'll be friends again? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm going to go hang out. I don't think I would do it. Would you? No. But he did it for you. Everything he wants is he wants us to believe. What are the benefits of believing? What are the benefits? It's okay as a Christian to say what's in it for me. I know we get all holy. Get all holy. Oh, we, we get too holy for a blessing. What's in it for me? It's all through the text. David asked when he went to kill Goliath, what's in it for me? Peter asked Jesus, what's in it for me? Lord, we've left everything. Jesus didn't go, you capitalist pig. How dare you ask me that question? What do you think? This is all about gain? Absolutely, it's all about gain. Because we have a generous God who wants to impart to us his riches. It's absolutely about gain. He didn't have a problem. He said, Lord, we've left everything for you. What do we get? Jesus said, whatever you've left for me will be rewarded back to you 100 times over in this life and in the one to come. What does that mean? Nobody does business with God and breaks even. Nobody. There's nothing you give to him that is not multiplied, amplified, and glorified back to you in Christ. Nothing. He's that good. Somebody said it's too good to be true. I always tell people it's so good it is true. So what are the benefits of believing? The benefits of giving your life to Christ, number one, is the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. People act like this is no big deal. I always tell them, I can't make myself clean on the inside. Can you? Can you clean yourself on the inside? Can you get away with the guilt, the shame, the insecurity, the fear, the doubt? Can you, can you clean that? You can't. There's only one who can. Acts 10 says this, all the prophets say it, and this is true, that those who believe in Jesus will be forgiven their sins through his name. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be completely forgiven. And the forgiveness in Christ, again, is zoesity. It is a perpetual forgiveness. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on. To the degree that now I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven. God no longer looks at me as who I was. He looks at me as who I am, and he calls me into the future. That's how God orients to us. He is the God who no longer, when you come to Jesus, your past is over. You're a new creation. You no longer, and even if I messed up last night, God does not reckon sin against me. Intentionally, you know, and if I sin, and I'm God and the Holy Spirit's dealing with me, hey, Kevin, you're wrong, I just confess it, and he cleanses me. But I don't lose my salvation. I don't have to get saved again. When you get saved and you come to Christ, you're born again and you're now his son and daughter. He does not look at you any other way. 
He looks at you as who he and who you now are, a son and a daughter, and he calls you into your destiny. He calls you into your future. He's that good. And I always get this, you know, I tell people I'm in the people business as a pastor, you know, what, what we do is we're in the people business, right? So we're not in profit and we're not in product. Our, our, our trade, as God would have us, is people. And so I talk to a lot of people and I hear this statement all the time. I'm a good person. You don't understand I'm a good person. I, I'm, I really believe I'm a good person. And I'm like, no, there's nobody good. None of us are good. We're all sinners. No, 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 no. I had a business partner one time used to go, Kevin, I don't believe in sin. I don't believe in sin. And I always would do this to him. We did it last week. The Ten Commandments are a mirror. Okay? So if you're a Christian here this morning and you've been taught all your life you're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments, I got news for you. You can't do it. Okay? You cannot keep your Ten Commandments. Good luck trying, but you cannot. The Ten Commandments were not given to us to be kept. I see pastors teach as if we're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm like, I can't do it, at least in myself. In the Spirit, I can. And when the Holy Spirit's on me, hey, I'm great. And when, the whole, when I'm not in the Holy Spirit, when I'm, not in my Christ, when I'm not in my eternal form, there's two of you, if you're a Christian, in the Spirit, that's your eternal form. Out of the Spirit, that's you, okay? So when I'm in the Spirit, that's my eternal form, I'm great. But the problem is, is I'm out of the Spirit more than I'm in it most of the time. And so it doesn't work. So what are the Ten Commandments? Let's just hold them up. Just see how good we look. Okay, ladies, you ever go through this with the dudes? Dudes, you ever think like you're having a really good hair day? You know, everything's going good, right? Or you think you're looking real good and, and you feel like, man, I feel real good today. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, your hair's all messed up or you got dirt on your face or something worse, right? And you wouldn't have been aware of that unless you looked in the mirror. Better yet, ladies, you're thinking, wow, I feel so pretty today. It's just, everything's great. And then you look in the mirror and your mascara's run or you got like makeup smeared or something like that. You would have never known that unless you looked in the mirror. That's what the Ten Commandments are for. They hold us up so that we understand who we are. And when we understand who we are, then we understand who he is and why we need him. Jesus doesn't mean anything to you unless you understand that you need a savior. Anybody in here ever lied? Let's just do the 10, let's do a few of the 10 commandments. Anybody ever lied? Okay. What does that make you? That makes you a? That's right. Anybody ever stolen? We know you're liars, so get your hands up. That's right. That makes you a? That's right. Anybody ever taken the Lord's name in vain? That makes you a blasphemer. Okay. So you still think you're good? Shall we keep going? Anybody ever hated someone in their heart? I said this first service. Maybe you had an ex-boyfriend and you just wanted him dead and you just have this vision of driving back and forth over him with your car. Even for a moment. Bible says you've committed murder within your heart. Lusted after another person. He says adultery. So based on that, we're lying, thieving, blaspheming, murdering, adulterers. And that's only five. There is none of us good. The Bible is to show us that your goodness, sin, is not external. Sin is not smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those who are doing. That's religion. Sin is in the heart. And every single one of us are born into it. We must be born again. That's why we must be born again. Okay? The forgiveness of sins. He says, your sins have cut you off. People say, I don't hear God. He says, your sins have isolated you from God. And because your sins, the God does not act, you have no access to him. 
And what does he say in Isaiah 1? He says, but now come, let us reason together. Let's work this out. I don't want you to be isolated from me, and I don't want to be isolated from you. Let's work it out. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. That's the whole reason Jesus came. Jesus came was to reconcile and to pay the price for the sins, for your lying, blaspheming, murdering, adultering, profaning heart. That's why when you come to Christ, life comes in you. The evidence of a believer isn't that you now wear a clerical collar and carry a Bible so big that you got to move it with a wheelbarrow. Okay? That doesn't mean you're a Christian. The Christian is Christ in your heart. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The transformative power of His Spirit within your life. That is the evidence of salvation. Agape love flowing out of your heart. He's alive in me. Wow. Jesus is the one and only, ladies and gentlemen. He is the one and only. He is not the one among many. It's very, very, very important if you're a believer here this morning in a world that does not understand anything, in a world that is run by fools. How do you know that? Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so we have lots of people in this world running this world that say there is no God. Therefore, it is run by fools. In a world that is run by fools, it is very important for you to understand Jesus is not one among many. He's not equal. He is not equal. He's not equal with Buddha. He's not equal with Gandhi. He's not equal with Tom Cruise and Scientology. He's not equal. Jesus is the one and only. He is Lord or he is nothing at all. That's right. I'm going to smile. <laughs> we used to go out. When I came to Christ, everything changed, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, I had a very, we all have conversion experiences, and I'm not elevating mine, but for me, the shift was so great. I mean, it was just mind-blowing, everything, because I was so hungry for God, and you will not experience Jesus, so the gospel doesn't mean anything to you unless you're hungry for him. That's why we tell you you're a sinner. I don't have a problem with it. My name is Kevin, and I'm a sinner. I'm a lying, thieving, blaspheming, adultering. Everything you can possibly think of, guilty is charged. And I need Jesus. I need a savior because I can't save myself. I need to be forgiven because I can't, forg I can't earn forgiveness on my own. That's the good news. And so when I came to Jesus, I was really fired up. And we'd go out and we'd start telling people about Jesus. And I kind of got a little irritated from time to time because people would always equate Jesus as if he was equal with everyone else or he was a good man or he was a prophet. Now, you know, he's far more than that. And I always used to like drop some knowledge on him, so I'd always quote Hebrews 10. It says, if we willfully sin after we've received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What does it mean? What does that mean? Once the gospel's been proclaimed to you and you turn away from it, there's sacrifice for sin in no other name. That's what it's saying to you. There is no one else can pay the price for your sin but Jesus. So if you have the knowledge of the truth given to you and you sin or turn against it, there is no other sacrifice that can be made for your sin. And we're all sinners. But the only thing that remains is a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries of God. This is how bold God is. He says, if you reject Jesus, you hate me. That's what he says. If you reject Jesus, you hate me. You are my adversaries, but I like Jesus. He, no, you're not a fan of Jesus. Jesus is Lord or he is nothing at all. That's the point. Anyone who rejects, he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people. 
And so he says, anyone who rejects the law of Moses dies. And all the Jews would be like, of course, yes, reject the law of Moses. You die. Yes, absolutely. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will they be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant which sanctifies as a common thing? The cross, the resurrection, and the crucifixion of Jesus is not a common thing. Come on. It cannot be treated as a common thing. It is not something, well, you know, Buddha made a pilgrimage like Jesus. No way, man. No way. That blood and that cross and that death and that birth and that resurrection is not a common thing. And he says, when the gospel is revealed to your heart, we insult the spirit of grace. What is he saying? There are some of you here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe grandma was a Christian. Maybe you go, I believe Jesus in your mind. You're not converted. You are not born again by your mind. Your mind will not convert you. You intellectually believe in Jesus, but your heart is unconverted. You must believe by faith in your heart. That's how you are born again. And so what happens here is as I proclaim this gospel and I proclaim this message, the Holy Spirit is opening your heart. And some of you feel like I'm talking directly to you. I'm not talking directly to you. That's the Spirit of God talking to you. Your heart is being open to this. And so what it's saying is it's an insult that when God proclaims his gospel, when he says you're lost and you can be found, you are away from me, but I love you and I want you to come home. I'm your father. And we reject that. God says we insult his spirit. That's actually what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit means right there. All sins will, all manner of sins will be forgiven against the father and against the son, but profaning the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is he talking about? He's saying that if you die in the state where Christ has been revealed in your heart and you've rejected him, that is blasphemy, profaning, insulting the Holy Spirit, and you are lost. So what do you do? When the Holy Spirit reveals in your life, you give your heart to Jesus. That's what you do. Paul, Peter preached that message I read in the book of Acts. And when he got done with it, you know what they all looked at him? He, you know what he kept saying? He's like, guilty, guilty, guilty. You crucified him. You gave him up with lawless men. Guilty, guilty, guilty. You know what they said? What do we do? He showed them the sin and he said, repent, return to Christ, give your hearts to him and be baptized. And so when the Holy Spirit's moving on your heart, if you're here and you don't know the Lord and you just kind of think, well, I thought I was just going to a church service. Well, welcome to Elevate. Okay. <laughs> Ain't no bunnies and chocolate eggs here, people. Well, except outside, maybe that's okay. <laughs> no, we want you to know the truth. We love you. So we tell you the truth. We love you because we want you to know him. We want you to know him. And so when the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, give your heart to Him. Give your heart to Christ. Next slide. Okay, I'm going to move faster now. Next slide. Identity and purpose is another benefit. Let's just say this together. In Christ, we find out who we are and what we are living for. Most people don't know who they are, and they have no idea what the meaning of life is or what they're living for. And do you know why? Because that's only found in Jesus. You will never understand who you are and why you're here and what life means apart from Christ. We can go to Barnes & Noble, buy a bunch of self-help books. They'll help, but they're not going to answer the question. Only Jesus answers that question. The benefit of believing in Christ is not just the forgiveness of sins. It's the recapturing of your identity, the purpose for which you were born, and understanding that. Every one of us believes you were born with a purpose. If I were to survey the room, I don't think we would find one person that says, you know what, I don't believe I was on this earth for a purpose. Every one of you believes you're on this earth for a reason. You agree? Every one of you do. Because God has created you that way. He's put it in your heart. And the only way you know that purpose is in Jesus. Thirdly is power for living. 
says God gives power to, let's just say, I want to say this together because I, I just want you to understand this because there's probably people in this room that are tired and people that are worn out and I want you to know where you can be uplifted. So let's say this together. I'll, I'll, I'll lead it out. God gives, God gives power, power to those who are, those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Are you tired and worn out this morning? Jesus is your answer. He is your power source. And he says in Ephesians, I pray that you would be able to know the power that's available to you, the mighty power that raised Christ to the dead. Power is available to you. People are tired more than they are anything else. We're tired and worn out. And the reason is, is we have a power shortage. Okay? An electric drill is no good unless it's plugged into a power source or a socket. A blender is no good unless it's plugged in. These are useless appliances, useless tools, unless they're plugged in. Our lives are useless without being plugged in. I didn't say they didn't benefit anyone, but we do not achieve our highest meaning unless we're plugged into the source. And Jesus is the source. Power to do what? What kind of power do we get? You get power to change. You can't change you. I can't change you. Your spouse can't change you as much as she tries. Or, <laughs> yeah, right? Some wife's going, wow. <laughs> or a husband trying to change his wife. You can't change anyone. You get power to change in Christ. You get power to start over. Some of you need a new beginning. You're Christians. You get a new beginning every single day. Did you know that? His mercy's new every morning. Every single day you get a do-over. You get a mulligan every day in Christ. You get the power to start over. You get the power to keep going. Some of you, you want to give up. It's always too soon to quit, people. In Christ, you have the power to keep going. Philippians 4.13 says this, Jesus gives me the strength to face anything. Let's just say that together. Jesus, Jesus will give me the strength, the strength to face anything. That's right. This is the benefits of believing in Christ among many more. You have, you have the strength to face your loneliness. You have the strength to face your doubts, your fears, your anger, your criticisms, your insecurity. It's all from Him. We draw from Him. And that power is not available to the unbeliever, but it is available to the believer. So if you're a believer, draw on your source, pull on his kingdom, pull on his spirit, people. If you're not a believer, you need to come to Christ and you have access to these things. Next slide. Fourthly, eternal life. Jesus said, I'm God. And he said, I'm going to prove to you I'm God. You say, a lot of people said they're God, Kevin. People all the time are saying they're God. There was a guy here in Miami who was saying he was God, right? And if you move on, everybody's getting a 666 tattoo because this dude was saying he's a savior, he's a Messiah, he's God. Anybody know that story? Yeah. yeah, exactly. He said he's God. A lot of people are saying they're God. Jesus said, I'm not only God, I'm going to prove it to you. How am I going to prove it to you? Because I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the grave. When they came together in Galilee, Jesus tells his disciples, this was no mystery to them. They understood what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem they're going to hand me over into people's hands, bad people, and they're going to do very bad things to me. They're going to kill me. But on the third day, I will be raised to life. He says, I'm God, and I'm going to prove to you I'm God through my resurrection. And I hear people, these are the arguments. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe they stole his body. Really? They stole his body. First of all, his, seal was, his tomb was sealed by a Roman seal. There was a Roman guard outside. Good luck with that one. Secondly, he was seen raised from the dead by over 500 people. Thirdly, 
A good, a good percentage of those people that claimed he rose from the dead were killed because they made that claim. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. And it's my favorite one. Thomas was pulled apart with hooks. Hooks. What does that look like? I don't know, but that doesn't sound good. Okay? Doubting Thomas died for his faith by being pulled apart with hooks. Don't you think something happened to doubting Thomas to make him want to give his life for something that he didn't believe before? Don't you think something happened? He went to India. That's where he died. And they came at him with hooks after he was proclaiming the gospel. And there's churches in the southern part of India to this day that are there from the gospel of Thomas being preached in that area. I met a guy in southern India, and he said, oh yeah, Thomas is very famous in my area. His blood was the seedbed with the soil of the gospel that was sown in that, in that nation. And there are cities in southern India to this day that are dominantly believers because God, Thomas went there and died for the gospel. I'm not telling you to die, but I'm telling you something shifted in this guy's heart. I don't know about you, if I stole the body and you're coming at me with hooks, you know, not fishing hooks now, okay? You're coming at me with like some reaping hooks and some crazy looking stuff and you're going to pull me apart with hooks. You know what I would do? <laughs> I was only kidding. You know? We stole the body. It's not real. No, man, I'm serious. No, 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 we stole it. But they all died to the man. Every one of them to the man died confessing that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then we have people saying, well, then he really didn't die. I had a guy trying to argue this with me. They gave him like sleeping medicine when he was on the cross. When they put the sop in his mouth, it made him go to sleep. And they, he just kind of hung there and slept. I'm like, really? We have to ask the question, who killed Jesus? People, sins killed Jesus. I understand that. But his executioners were Romans. Romans. Organized, professional killers. It's what they did all day. It's what they did every day. Professional killers these men were. You read in the gospel, the centurion is giving orders because he was responsible to execute these men. When a decree was given from the proconsul, which was Pilate, Pilate said, kill them. The centurion now was responsible to carry out that order. And if that order was not carried out and those deaths were not certified, that centurion took the place of, the of that man, of the condemned. Not just the centurion, but his entire host. So the centurion would be there with six to eight, ten of his guys, and if they did not kill the people that they were told to kill, all of them would take the place of the condemned. If a Roman lost his prisoner, a centurion or a Roman guard lost their prisoners, they had to take the place of the prisoner. The prisoner escapes? Great. He was just a thief. Too bad. You take his place. You let him go. That's why you see in the Bible and you see in history, historically, you'll see these stories even in history where the Romans would execute their prisoners before they would let them go. Why? Because it's like, it's you or me, dude. That's how it's going down. And I can tell you right now, it ain't going to be me. I'm the one with the sword. So sorry, you lose. Jesus was certified dead by Roman centurions, not just from a doctor in the book of Luke where the blood came out. The Bible certifies him as dead, but we know he was certified by the Romans as dead. Really? He didn't die? Next slide. You know what that is? Anyone? It's the tomb of Buddha. Guess what? Buddha's in there. Next slide. You know what that is? That's the tomb of Muhammad. Guess what? Muhammad is in there. Next slide. You know what that is? That's the tomb of King David. Guess what? King David is in there. Next slide. You know what that is? That's the tomb of Jesus. 
He is not in there. He is who he says he is. He has risen from the grave. And because he is who he says he is, because he has done this, we know he is God because he has proven it. We know that he will keep his promises because everything he said, he fulfills. We know that life continues after this one. If you think you die and you cease to exist, you are completely deceived. And I would say to you, who told you that? You live eternally in one world or another, in one kingdom or another. You will live eternally in a condemned kingdom of darkness without Christ, or you will live eternally in a kingdom of life and light perpetually with Jesus. The choice is yours. You say, well, I don't believe that there's life after death. I don't believe in gravity. So let's go up on the roof and see if my belief has anything to can, can overcome gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Womb. I'm coming down. Truth is not predicated upon our belief. We have to understand that. We're so, we're so worshipers of ourselves. We think we're the authority on everything, particularly in this country. We think if we have an opinion on something, therefore that's what it is. You can have an opinion and say Jesus isn't God, and it's irrelevant of your opinion. He's God. You can have an opinion and say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's irrelevant of your opinion. Jesus rose from the dead. You can have an opinion and say there's no afterlife. There's no afterlife. I don't believe in you. I don't believe in you. I don't believe in you. It's irrelevant of your opinion. It doesn't matter. He is God. There is an afterlife. You will spend eternity somewhere. In this world, not when we pass from this world into the next, there is, two, there is an afterlife. Say, how do we know? Because the one who came from the afterlife told us so. We have an afterlife. What happens when we die? Because the one who lived and dead and now lives again is the one who told us so. Jesus said, if they were, these things were not so, I would have told you. Say, why? Well, what's about hell, Kevin? What about hell? Is hell real? Hear me very clearly, and I will not stutter. Hell yeah, hell is real. Okay? That's right. It's a big debate in all the churches. Oh, we don't talk about sin. People will leave if you talk about sin. Don't use the word hell. People might get offended. Well, God forbid. God forbid I get offended that you tell me my house is on fire. God forbid that you tell me that. We're foolish. Sin, righteousness, and judgment is the message of the Holy Spirit. We are lost, we can be found, and if we reject Christ, we're lost. That's what it means. Why would a loving God send people to hell? I saw this interview with Billy Graham just recently, not Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, his son, and they were asking him, well, I don't understand why a loving God would send people to hell. And he said, well, according to Revelation chapter 20, he's not sending them there, he's throwing them. <laughs> That's how serious it is. Well, we're good people. Really? Do we need to hold the Ten Commandments up again? We're not good people. We're lost. And of all things, we're self-deceived. And we need a cold dose of reality. I don't have a problem. Sin clarifies everything for me. I don't see myself as a sinner anymore. I am born again. I am an heir to an eternal kingdom. I am a son of the Most High. I have access to His kingdom in this world and in the one and the next. My glory is not of myself. My glory is in him, that in all things Christ may have the first place. And that's what he calls you. If you're here this morning, you're not a sinner. You're a son and a daughter of the living God. You're not who grandma said you were, Aunt Betty said you are. You're not who your parents say you are. You're not even who you say you are. You're who Jesus says you are. And that's the beautiful thing. We are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. All that he has is ours. That's amazing. That's good news. 
And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you give your life to him, you become an heir. God does not want that. The Bible says hell wasn't made for man. Do you know that? God did not make Gehenna, which is the word for hell. He did not make it for human beings. It was made for fallen angels. The angels rebelled and God had to put them in a place for their absolute rebellion against full knowledge. And they were lost. And the enemy transferred his rebellion. And so now, so here's how it works. When Jesus ends the age, and he will end the age, you will go to the kingdom that you are bound to. It's as simple as that. When the kingdom of light is revealed, if you are a child of light, you will go there. When the kingdom, when the kingdom of light is revealed, the kingdom of darkness will be completely done away with. And those who are outside of Christ are bound to darkness, whether they believe it or not. Whether they understand it or not, I'm not in darkness. Oh, really? Well, we'll see that happen when, you know, it all comes down. That darkness will be done away with and you are linked to that kingdom. You will go where that kingdom goes. That's how it works. It's legal transaction. The kingdom of God is title deed to your soul. And if you don't know Jesus, he does not have title deed to you. You know who does? Lucifer. A fallen angel owns human race. He owns you apart from Christ. Owns you. I don't believe it. Well, when you die, you'll watch him claim you. And away you'll go. And if you're in Christ, when you die, you'll watch him claim you. And away you go. This is what it is. And darkness is not equal with light. Light is far superior. One candle dispels all darkness. Darkness of light is far superior than darkness. And some of you are here this morning, and you've never heard this. You need to hear this. Some of you are here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus. Today's your day. If you'd openly declare Jesus with your mouth, Romans 10, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're not, he doesn't say you might be. He doesn't say, I'll think about it. He says, if you will do this, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved first from your guilt, your shame, your condemnation. Saved secondly from your own self-destructive nature. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you may are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture says, all who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. He calls you to himself not to shame you. He calls you to himself to honor you. He calls you to himself to clean you up, to raise you up, to take away everything. It's like the prodigal son when he came home, a son that was run away. The father said, put a ring on him, put a robe on him, have a party. My son is home. That's what this looks like. We come to him, not because he shames us. We come to him because he wants to elevate you. And then he says in Matthew 10, do not be afraid. People are afraid to come to Jesus. Why don't they are afraid to come to Jesus? Because it's like, what do I have to give up? What will people think of me? What, 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 what am I going to have to do? What's going to change? We're afraid to come to him. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He said, you're worth more than many sparrows. He's telling the story of sparrows. That, and he says, that God takes care of them and one falls to the ground. Your father knows. You're worth more than all of them. Don't be afraid. Well, what if God won't accept me? God will absolutely 100% accept you. Guaranteed. All who come to him. All. All. And here's the story. If we confess Jesus before men, he confesses us before the Father. It's a beautiful statement. I'm going to share with you my story. My story may not be your story. The Bible says if we confess Jesus before men, he'll confess us before the Father. Many of you would respond to that alone. You'd go, wow, if I confess Jesus before 
people. If I give my heart to Jesus, then he's gonna confess me openly as his own before heaven. That's awesome. Thank God for you. I wasn't that guy. I came to Christ on the next verse. If you deny me before men, you will also deny before my Father. That's my story. I wasn't into the whole flowery thing. I had to respect God. I didn't have, I, at the state I was at in my life, I needed him, but I didn't respect him. I didn't understand that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I didn't understand that Jesus is not to be trifled with. He's gracious, he's loving, he's kind, he's generous, he's all that and more, but he's a righteous king. And if I reject him before people and renounce him, I will stand before him and his holy angels and he will renounce me. That's my story. He doesn't want to renounce you. He wants you to confess him and say, well, what do we do? We're going to close with a prayer. We're going to praise with two prayers. We've got a prayer team and we've got a party. It ain't going to get any better than this. We're going to party right now, right? That's right. There's some people that are going to come to Jesus right now and we're going to party. That's the first party. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to Christ. They throw a party. I mean, oons, 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 oons. The DJ's ready to play your song, man. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. We're going to pray together as a church because you're called into a family and we're in this together. And so as we pray together, all you got to do is open up your heart and pray. You say, I don't understand it. You don't need to. Not your mind, your heart. So we'll pray together. All right? So let's just pray together. If that's you, let's just pray it out with me, church. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are Savior. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name.